Welcome to this week's Precision Podcast. And I'm here this morning with Dr. Joshi. And Dr. Joshi is a gynecologist and she works currently in the University Hospital uh, of Wales. And that's in Cardiff, which is, um, which is near to where my mother-in-law lives. I told you that. Yes, you did. <laughs> and, um, and so I've got my Welsh heritage there by, uh, by proxy. And uh, Dr. Joshi works in the menopause clinic. Uh, and also in the Eurogynecology department. And so we're here this morning to talk about the kinds of problems women have uh, in and around the menopause. And Dr. Josh is going to shed some light on why some of this is happening to our bodies and the mm -hmm. kinds of things we can, uh, we can be offered to help us. So thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks, Philippa. Thanks for having me. It's it's very nice to join you and talk to you about a topic which is in a way close to my heart because I've experienced my mom going through it. And in a way, I know eventually down the line, all of us are going to have it. It is menopause is one of those things. Maybe we as women are sometimes too scared to ask questions about. Or in a way, we're just we're just we're just worried about it but we, we don't want to speak about it it's I feel personally it's one of those things mm. and I've seen that in a lot of women who who are coming to us in clinics day in and day out they're probably too scared to accept that it's a problem and because we all think maybe it's it's us it's not us it's what's the it's what the hormones are doing to us in a way so it is a change which every woman goes through and definitely something we should all not be scared to get help for or you know just ask about yeah exactly i think i think that's the thing that uh sadly for me i spent five years in the perimenopause not talking about it um so i i could have probably done with having these conversations a bit sooner but uh, you know, if it helps other women, then then mm -hmm. alter the good, alter the yeah, good indeed. Definitely. So, um, so when people come to you in the clinic, uh, what mm -hmm. sort of symptoms that, do you find that they are struggling with? Yeah, oh, that's a very good question, Philippa. I think one of the most common symptoms we see is in about 75 to 80% women, we would see them coming with hot flushes. So they describe themselves suddenly early hours of the morning, they'd get up from the bed and feel like they're sweating or they've got a very bad flush just about them. Sometimes it happens randomly during the day. About eight to eight to nine out of 10 women also suffer from what I'd like to say emotional challenges. So some of them tend to get more teary, more depressed, whereas some others get angry or they feel or they feel like they can't work enough or they're just too tired all the time. All of this is in a way part and parcel of men because your body's responding to a big hormonal change. Hmm. Um, then we go on to a few other more, more uh, intimate symptoms in a way if we say people would, uh, maybe around six to seven in 10 women would experience problems with intercourse. That would start with feeling more dry down below. Sometimes it could get a little bit more painful having intercourse. Then a few other women would get incontinent. 
it's about not being able to manage your bladder symptoms really well, increase frequency, urgency, sometimes just leaking spontaneously and things like that. There are other few physical symptoms like just muscle aches and pains and increased osteoporosis and things like that. And last but, the not, last but not the least, uh, a lot of women feel like they're forgetting things and they're just, just, just feeling old in a way, you know, which is not true. It's not, it's not old. It's, it's just hormones doing it to you. Hormones. Uh, what, what did I say? I said they were playing me like a fiddle, those hormones. And, and so all of these different tissues have estrogen receptors. Um, Very true. Yeah. And so that's hence why they struggle, start to struggle as yeah. a result of this lack of falling levels of estrogen in the, in the blood. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I think, um, you know, for me, one of the hardest things was that uh, I, I was having all of them. <laughs> oh, bless. <laughs> and if I, I may add, Philippa, it's not only the estrogen. I think all of us blame estrogen a oh, lot. But it's not only the estrogen. In a way, the ovaries are also responsible for the progesterone. So it's the estrogen and the progesterone. And when, once the ovaries start running out of fuel, like we were discussing earlier, the brain, in a way, is still giving commands for it to produce the hormones, whereas the ovary has run out of fuel. So the hormones the brain produces they're called stimulating hormones, to be precise, FSH and LH. And those hormones can sometimes cause a lot of the other side effects, like the hot flushes and things like that. So oh, is it, that it, it is a vicious cycle. It is a yeah. vicious cycle. Well, it, well, that certainly felt like a vicious cycle. <laughs> Oof. So um, talk, talk to me a little bit about some of the uh, urogenital problems in a bit more detail. What, what kinds of, uh, why is this happening? Yeah, you know? again, very good question, Philippa. Basically, what happens is uh, the vaginal mucosa, okay, like we like to say, has estrogen receptors, like you mentioned earlier. Because of the lack of the ovaries to produce the estrogen, the vaginal mucosa is not able to produce the lubricants that it would routinely. What happens then is despite of having the sexual excitement or the, or the process of intercourse happening, those hormones which would routinely be produced at that time are not produced. So the mucosa is not lubricated. That makes things dry, that makes it harder for the whole process to happen mm. and secondly there is another part and parcel of the whole lack of estrogen which is atrophy so oh. it is it is the mucosa in a way getting old dying dying out in simple layman terms which well, sounds a little harsh that sounds yeah. a bit scary doesn't it yeah but so, but, um, so the, but there are lots of ways to get about it yeah so. well of course yeah well and we will come to that of course we'll get Definitely. to the good news um but but the uh, the vaginal atrophies is that i mean if we think about our skin for instance uh -huh. on uh -huh. our face uh, we notice changes in the skin on our face as, as yeah. you know with the passage of time and mm -hmm. so is it a similar kind of experience is that yeah I, yeah i'd like to say actually that's a very good uh, way of comparing because 
the skin on the face is something we can see mm. and that's why we apply a lot of products and spend a lot on it in a way <laughs> it's do. similar it's similar it's similar it is it is basically the aging process so wrinkling and atrophy loss of, loss of elasticity absolutely that, absolutely yeah. yes and thinning thinning of the skin similarly thinning of the vaginal mucosa so all and mm. part of parcel of the whole the whole you know hormonal racket happening down there in a way <laughs> hormonal racket that was that was funny um so so we've got tissues that are aging essentially is mm -hmm. what you're saying and then the lack of estrogen is meaning that the lubricants are not there and so that mm -hmm. put those two things together yep. and that's a recipe for discomfort is essentially isn't it definitely and mm -hmm. a very very important aspect in that is also our emotional and you know our whole kind of mental setup at that point also because that definitely adds up to i'd say 30 to 40 percent of the symptoms because in a way if you're not feeling right even if things might be slightly right it actually doesn't turn out to be right eventually if that makes yeah, sense yeah. So, yeah yeah so exactly intimacy is is so important for our overall mental well-being and if that's a part of your life that mm -hmm. suddenly or, or gradually even starts to shift then yeah i mean we're talking about a, a, a gradual sometimes shift in mm -hmm. in a way that uh, mm -hmm. And it's only when you get to a threshold uh, of, of where it just becomes overwhelming or difficult or painful or whatever, that then you might start to seek help. Yeah. And, uh, and you, and I, we was, I said that you work in the menopause clinic and, mm -hmm. and that, uh, you know, lots of people don't even know that this is something that exists. And you're in a, like you said, in a tertiary center, which is a, a big teaching hospital. <laughs> And so these services are available, but maybe not uh, in every uh, area. And, and so, like I said to you earlier, that accessing these services can be a bit, uh, a bit hit and miss mm -hmm. uh, as to whether or not one might be referred. Um, mm -hmm. And so, but to know those services are out there is, is really encouraging, at least. And I, I think the profile of menopause is 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 necessarily being raised people are, you know there is, there is this conversation is happening more and yes. more which is which is heartening isn't it mm -hmm. and i do believe that i mean i do believe that our system is definitely recognizing the importance so we're we've started from the training of our gps so mm -hmm. we're hoping that those who really need to be referred to us are getting to us yeah yeah and that and that's at the root of it isn't it essentially having the mm -hmm. the training in place so that yeah. the referring practitioners know when mm -hmm. and, and what when to refer and and what's available for people yeah. and yeah. yeah i mean that's so important for women isn't it um so so as a physiotherapist obviously i have encountered uh, women with bladder issues and uh, I've, I've had two children of my own both of them both of them had very big heads i'm, yes. I'm just gonna say put that out there very big heads <laughs> and um and so you know this is something that i i can speak to with a degree of um knowledge that mm -hmm 
that uh, delivering children uh, through the normal route mm -hmm. definitely has an impact on the, the urinary, urogenital system mm -hmm. and, uh, and that stress incontinence following uh, pregnancy and, uh, and delivery of children. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then you sort of go through a period where perhaps you've done your, uh, your pelvic floor exercises. Yeah, yeah we're doing them now. Yeah. <laughs> I always say that nobody knows you're doing them apart from we've all got a pelvic floor face, which... Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> typical face. Yeah. Yeah. The eyebrows go up uh, when we're doing our pelvic floor. So we do our pelvic floor, but I, I think... Um, even during the uh, even during the monthly cycle, you, we mentioned this that there are changes in the hormone levels that that influence us even before we encounter perimenopause or menopause, and that there is a monthly fluctuation. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned a monthly fluctuation in the secretions for one, yep. uh, but also in uh, the hormonal. I, I've certainly experienced a. Uh, a fluctuation in in uh, the, the resilience of my pelvic floor, shall we say? Yeah. Um, and then and then I think without the hormones altogether, mm -hmm. this muscular uh, atrophy that you talk about mm -hmm. um, has has an influence on on these. Uh, what what maybe was something we were coping with, yep. it, we're just tipped over into the into being symptomatic, perhaps. Very true. Very true. It, it is the pelvic floor is a part of the aging process. I mean, the weakening of the pelvic floor, the whole thing. But yes, being pregnant, going through labor and in a way, vaginal delivery, if it is traumatic, is a part and parcel of increasing your risk of having this incontinence. Yes. Pelvic floor exercises, like you very truly mentioned before, after and then all throughout your life should be done. I say that and I know it's hard with our daily, daily routine, busy lives that we have as mothers or as working professionals or as, you know, as mm. everything that we do as women in mm. a day. Mm. But it is, it is essential, pelvic floor exercises, just routine exercising regularly also, I would like to reiterate, is extremely essential just to cope with even the emotional changes. And of course it helps in hormonal balance. So I think you might you might be able to talk about that even better on how hormones help to balance or how exercise helps to balance the hormones in a way. Well, certainly it influences the brain chemistry and uh, in terms of our general feeling of well-being mm -hmm. is going to be enhanced by physical activity. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the evidence is that if you do something you love, that this this effect will actually be greater. So it's really important that we you know tap into those things that we enjoy, uh, and physical activity. Choose something that you love, and it might just be out for a walk. It might be uh, Pilates. It might be um, yoga. I mean, I love yoga. Uh, it might be. Uh, dancing along to a record on the radio you know it, it really doesn't matter does it we just move more feel better in in every way physically mm -hmm. emotionally um, mm -hmm. but but you know physical exercise physical activity is certainly piece a piece of the puzzle but it does take us only so far 
And so I guess we come to the kinds of uh, treatments that are available for women uh, that mm -hmm. you might be prescribing in your clinic. So um, uh, that brings us, I suppose, to HRT and then alternatives for women. Would you, would you mind to talk to a little bit about that? Definitely would like to elaborate on that. I think I would like to begin by saying that lifestyle changes or just, just a few lifestyle modification things are extremely essential, irrespective of whatever medical management we give. So we begin with just eating the right things, eating healthy, drinking lots of water. That's extremely essential. Like we all know, I'm probably repeating what everyone knows, so, but in a way, it's what we begin with. We start with basics. Yeah. Then exercise, like we said, so some physical activity, good emotional support. If needed, find someone you want to speak to. We offer counseling services as a part of the NHS and otherwise also is available or just, just, just a friend to talk to is also good. But yes, it's important to talk to someone. And then when we get on to managing medically, if needed, we'd start with, of course, the basics. That's the basic HRT. So that's a combination of the estrogen and progesterone, but in a much milder dose than what you would have had through your reproductive period if you needed as a part of the combined pills, if, which most of us have heard about. So it's a similar formulation at a slightly lower dose because the side effects of those hormones, if we take them externally, could be pretty, pretty, in a way, bad, if I can be very, very straightforward because the estrogen can increase your risk of clots and things like that. And the progesterone aspect can also affect your blood pressure in your heart. But yes, the dose that we give in the HRT is obviously safe for all of that, keeping in mind that you don't have any contraindications to it. Yes, of course. So that's something I hadn't really, uh, hadn't really appreciated uh, was that we're, we're replacing the hormones, but only up to a point. It's, uh, you know, and like you say, safe levels. And so the, mm -hmm. the doses are a, a, a fraction of what we would have been experiencing uh, uh, through our natural uh, body chemistry. Yep. So, the, so the other measures that I, I, mean, I think that's, um, you, you, I, I love the fact that you mentioned the lifestyle factors first, because they certainly, we cannot just rely on medication as as a as a fix-all mm -hmm. um, and so it's lovely to hear you say that but you know for, for some women the symptoms are so prohibitive yep. that that it becomes uh, inevitable or, or necessary to have this replacement mm -hmm. um, and and yet this is this is can be a bit of a rocky journey as well can't it the the adjustment to uh, and of course, they present with their own set of side effects as well when we take these, um, these replacements. Very true. Very true. So there is obviously uh, regular follow-up and monitoring for anyone we start on HRT. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we'll have to monitor the blood pressure. We'd have to look at certain other side effects depending on the individual profile. So it's very case-based in a yes. way. But the other aspect that we probably didn't touch is the estrogen-only HRT. So I spoke to you about the combination, mm. which is the combination of estrogen and progesterone, which is safest for anyone who has their womb in situ or who's not had what we call as a hysterectomy. Mm. 
but a large portion of women who need the hrt are actually women who had to have a surgical menopause that we like to say oh. or the a hysterectomy okay which is actually a very large portion of women we, who we see in our menopause clinics oh, actually interesting and for them it's yeah for them it's the estrogen only hrt because the progesterone the other the other hormone mm-hmm. is more of a protective hormone for the womb for the to womb. prevent them mm-hmm. from getting any side effects on the womb specifically estrogen only only hrt is the other option which we can give which a lot of women are actually taking and they can take that for a longer duration in their life mm. progesterone aspect and the progesterone side effects have obviously been removed in a yes, way yes yes yeah because it's not necessary to have that so i suppose the other thing we you know we talked about vaginal atrophy and uh, dryness mm-hmm. and that i have heard about uh, estrogen being administered vaginally is that True. is that instead of or as well as uh it could be either or oh so could it it depends on your symptoms so if the only symptom that you're presenting to me with is vaginal dryness i would recommend we start with lubricants and of course estrogen local estrogen therapy because i don't want to put you at the risk of the side effects of the oral hormonal therapy yeah, that i'm going to give you to. yeah if yeah. the only if the only symptom is the local atrophy or the local dryness that you're feeling yeah, yeah. so it's something we would start with and then of course see how you go oh so that is something you could have in tandem with Uh, a patch or a tablet absolutely absolutely and you could have it along with your oral hrt or the patch or the injection whatever you're on and so uh, as as well as um incontinence type system uh, symptoms in the urinary system there's mm-hmm. also um increased risk of in um increased frequency of urinary infections is that mm-hmm. something that you might see in your clinic <coughs> very good observation philippa yes it's just how our female anatomy is in a way the urethral opening and the vaginal opening all very close by all very prone to all at a higher risk of infection especially once you age once things start you know once our defense mechanisms fall in a way our immunity lowers and all of that so i think i, think I read that embryologically the mm-hmm. bladder and the vaginal tissue is, yes. is it's related isn't it and so that the mm-hmm. effects on the structural um mm-hmm. you know the the, mm-hmm. the the structure is mm-hmm. is very similar yeah in, in that regard you know the atrophy type effect very true it actually all comes from a single what we call as a sinovaginal bulb um, and then there is a septum which actually develops and sort of separates oh, the separates the two Yeah. So they're very closely related in in that regard then. Very closely related, yeah. Absolutely. And, and closely located. <laughs> mm. Very But true. This is something that um th- this can be really a problem can't it for women. Uh, oh bless. Oh no, definitely, but fortunately it's always been well controlled despite being maybe persistent in a few women. because both the vaginal and the like we like to say the water infections or the urinary tract infections are slightly stubborn mm. they like to come back yeah so well, we have a lot of long term therapies also if needed for women starting from cranberry extracts to even long term antibiotics low dose antibiotics and things like that but 
yeah but that's kind of um the 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 last port of call really absolutely it all that's begins cool. with having plenty of fluids and fluids, just local yeah. hygiene so it yeah. all begins there uh, i mean i don't know about you uh but I'm currently working a couple of days a week in the physio clinic and I'm wearing the mask, uh, you know, and your patients are coming, you, you're in the clinic, your patients are coming thick and fast. And I mean, I'm really struggling to keep the fluid levels up with that. Yeah, very true. very true. Yeah. And plus the weather is getting, it's sort of getting cooler now. Mm. So in a way yeah. that's not making us thirsty anymore. So yes, but maybe what all of us could do is in a way try and maintain a little bit of an input output chart a fluid balance chart we like to put things down in our phones on apps nowadays we're doing all of that maybe doing that for a fluid balance would do us really good personally i is something that i've started actually because i realized that i am not drinking enough water when i actually sat to measure it i was just having about a liter a day so I needed to have much more. So and, and is two liters the recommended? Yes, absolutely. Still on the two absolutely. liters. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, yeah, and this is a has a big bearing, doesn't it, on our um, risk of infection if we're not keeping up the fluids. And I think, I mean, without writing it down, we could just look behind us in the toilet and see whether it's bright yellow, dark yellow, or pale straw coloured. <laughs> that we leave behind but yes we definitely need to keep an eye on how much we drink and yeah. how much we're yeah 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 that's i mean that's something uh, for the it plumps up the tissues <laughs> in the i'm pointing at my face uh doesn't say when we're at the topic actually other than the fluids even the kind of foods we eat are extremely essential uh, again yeah. again you're into lifestyle and things like that so you might be able to talk better about it but foods rich in phytoestrogens and just in general you know there are a lot of trigger foods that a lot of women have actually noted so for, really, are we are we talking for symptom, hot, hot symptoms hot flushes specifically or hot flushes and even when it comes to a lot of the times the emotional symptoms so getting angry mm. or feeling depressed yeah. maintaining what we call as a menopause diary or a symptom diary is actually one of our diagnostic tools um, yes we can yes we can measure the hormones and the blood and things like that but it's different for every woman like all of us have different skin color different hair color our symptoms also present differently so for me my hormones might not be that high but my symptoms are actually much worse mm. so sometimes it actually doesn't correspond so just maintaining a simple symptom diary for yourself. For example, Monday, I had whatever, this, this, this to eat. And I actually, my day was pretty good. I had this much of caffeine. Whereas on Tuesday, I had to have four cups of coffee. And I, you know, yeah. I really got angry or I couldn't sleep well or whatever. No, I, definitely. Sorry. I, I think that's a fabulous suggestion because... Uh, you know, you, I have in my uh, experiences of my perimenopause gone to a doctor and sat in the chair and promptly uh, forgotten to mention half of what is going on <laughs> because 
you know, well, that's part of it, isn't it, as well, that we're forgetful. So, so to keep a diary of your symptoms and then to see if there are any correlations between, mm -hmm. and, I, and I certainly know for an absolute without effect, without categorically that um, foods that are high in salt will definitely fuel my hot flushes. Mm -hmm. uh, and that eating late at night, uh, alcohol, I've had to give that up completely because mm -hmm. alcohol was definitely something and I, ne and I never really was very much into it, but mm -hmm. even just one glass of wine and mm -hmm. I would go to bed and be on fire, shall we say, and not in a good way. <laughs> so uh, yeah, definitely it, that's really important that we are, um, taking care of ourselves in the fullest, broadest sense of the word mm -hmm. uh, and be our own advocates. And so if, if you haven't uh, got, you know, made a diary, then you go to the doctor and you forget half of what you were trying to say, then, uh, then you're not going to get the treatment that maybe you're not going to get treated in the way that would be most appropriate. So mm -hmm. yeah, I like that suggestion very much. No, it definitely helps putting things down. It's it's true for all of us. It's overwhelming in a, in what twenty minutes that you get to speak mm -hmm. to a doctor. It's yeah. hard to remember everything. So yeah. it's like going to a parent teacher meeting and forgetting what you want to ask. You know, it's just one of those things. But yeah, and the raft of symptoms is so varied, mm -hmm. and some of them you may not have attributed to this uh, this shift in hormones. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and it's it's a com that's so complex. And as you say, I think uh, as a physiotherapist, I appreciate that we are treating the person that has the condition uh, rather than the what condition. condition the person has. Mm -hmm. So if, the more that we can, uh, as practitioners, uh, recognize that every every individual is going to be just that an individual mm -hmm. and that and that um it, you know it sounds like you're doing an amazing job in the clinic i i wish i'd known about these things <laughs> well in a way i think philippa you're doing what you can to get things to people i understand that you know resources are limited and that's why maybe not all of us can get to the clinics but yes i think this is a wonderful way just just dispensing information like this on the internet just yeah. one one factor another factor i'd like to dwell on is the importance of taking vitamin d and calcium supplements because oh, the yes. of bones is obviously it's a proven thing there's research on it and probably as women we should start taking supplements earlier in our lives because after a certain point the bones can't actually absorb the vitamin d and calcium that well Mm. so just one of those things that and foods which are rich in it you know like yogurt or whatever just I mean milk. nutrition is a whole conversation in itself isn't Absolutely. it <laughs> certainly for my own self I've I've always advocated preventative medicine mm -hmm. uh, and you know for myself for my family it's what mm -hmm. we practice um mm -hmm. and that's, that's to say it's never too late, you know, it's never too late to start to make healthy adjustments, is it? But, mm -hmm. uh, but sooner rather than later, and, and some women are, are experiencing the shift, you know, in their early 40s. Yeah. Uh, and, and really, that's very young, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so 
unfortunately, though, um, I think we spent two thirds of our life in a way in menopause now because life expectancy has increased, well, but menopause is coming earlier. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is, it is, I'm, I'm glad we got to speak about it today because it is a very important aspect and I don't want any woman to be scared to speak about it or, you know, yeah. it's just and one so, of those things, yeah. That's right. On that note, thank you so much for your time this morning. I know that so you're a very busy mom and doctor and so thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me, Philippa, and let's hope this helps all our women out there. So.